The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. Well, I am excited to introduce you today to one of my friends who's going to be bringing the word uh, today. Pastor Gary Hay uh, pastored for many, many years in the Springfield, Missouri uh, area. And uh, several years ago, Lisa and I met Gary, and he just quickly became one of our mentors. He's a guy that we call as we're processing processing things. I'll often call and say, hey, I, I need to run something by you. And, and he's got so much wisdom and he's just uh, just taken our family in. And he helps us. He's, he always answers our call. Uh, we've also become really good friends and, uh, and I really am appreciative for him in our lives. And so uh, we were talking a few months ago. He was feeling the need to head out west. And uh, I said, man, if you're heading west, you need to come and spend a weekend with Harvest. He actually preached here, I think it was 2019. Uh, when you were here last. So some of you uh, may remember him, but uh, I know uh, that you're going to enjoy the ministry that Gary's going to bring today. About two weeks ago, he called. He said, man, I've been praying. I just feel like God's given me a word for your house, and it's going to, it's going to really help some people. And I, and I know and love that about Gary, that when we ask him to come and to serve us in this way, that he takes it seriously. He gets before the Lord and he listens. And I know that today God's going to use him to bring uh, a message of hope to you today. So do me a favor, open your hearts uh, to the Lord this morning, and would you help me welcome my friend Gary as he comes to preach the word this morning. Thanks, buddy. Love you. Thank you so much. It's great to be back here, and uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different today from what I usually do. I I like to expositorily preach. Uh, Just take a passage and go through it because... The context of what we read in the scriptures is so important to understanding it. And, uh, but what I'm going to do with you today is to kind of take you down memory lane, uh, something the Lord did in my life way back. Uh, and I've, I've noticed that over time, God matures certain concepts in us if we listen. Uh, he gives us a little bit, and we, as we chase that, he does other things with it. And that's basically what I'm going to do today. I'm, I'm a visual learner. I love to be able to see and visualize something so I can understand the concept. And uh, this, the story I'm going to tell you today is one of those scenarios. Um, back, back many years ago, uh, this sounds really hollow. Is this me or? Okay, okay. All right. I felt like I was in a 50-gallon drum or something like that. But uh, the bottom line is uh, this experience happened to me early in ministry. I was a young guy. And I was uh, ministering out in Arizona, and we had each summer a big, long outreach to British Columbia. And so I was, wor- I was working out of uh, Surrey, British Columbia, which is one of the bedroom communities of Vancouver. And uh, we'd go back and forth to Vancouver Island, and we would do a lot of, we happened to get a chance to do a lot of salmon fishing while I was up there. And I've been a fisherman ever since I was old enough to hold a rod. And I'm trying to teach Jason something, and it's not really working very well. Uh, But the bottom line is, God allowed me to be in that environment. And we had so much fun ministering, doing outreaches into Vancouver and and into Victoria and around uh, Vancouver Island. And so myself and two older preachers decided that we were going to make a trip. We fished around those islands all the time for salmon and were quite successful. And uh, we heard about this place called Rivers Inlet, which was a very remote section of uh, the mainland. We had to go up the the island of Vancouver, Vancouver Island. And at the very end of that island, then we went 45 miles across open ocean into an inlet called Rivers Inlet. It was a huge river system that opened up into the, into the Pacific. And this was known for catching salmon in the 40 to 60 pound category. And I prayed about it, and then the Lord definitely wanted me to go there. <laughs> it, was, it was really an adventure, I'm telling you. This place was wild as wild can be. And uh, we, we went back in there, we, we traveled, I had to trailer the boat halfway up Vancouver Island and then drive, drive the boat 60 miles north to a place called Hardy Bay, which was on the tip of the island, and the guys flew in and met me, and then we went 45 miles across the ocean, and then we went back inland another 15 miles. 
Never saw another house, another boat, nothing. It was absolutely as remote as you could possibly imagine, but beautiful. And we had to, there was no camping facilities, not even, not even level land to camp on, so we had to kind of climb up on an old abandoned cannery that had been destroyed uh, in an earthquake and, and the subsequent tidal wave, and that's where we camped for like a week. And we were so excited. I mean, the fishing, the, the, the run was supposed to be there, and the salmon should come in from the ocean, and 40 to 60-pound king salmon, it was... It was inevitable we were just going to load the boat because we always did. But we fished for five and a half days, caught zero. Didn't even see a bear. The bears knew better than we did that the salmon weren't there. And at the end of the time, we were so depressed. I mean, it was an expensive run for us. It was, it was so exciting to be there. It was beautiful but frustrating because we knew that those fish should have been there. And we tried everything in the book to catch those salmon. And after five and a half days, we were done. I remember loading the boat that morning. It was a morning that matched our mood because there was a low sky. And it was literally just almost on the surface of the water. That, there was not a breath of water of air that morning, uh, wind-wise. And it was a very unusual morning on the ocean as we, as we started out on the compass heading to hit the... Uh, to the mouth of it, River's Inlet, and go across the ocean there, uh, you couldn't see much. It was like, it wasn't fog, but it was just right above the water, and you couldn't, you couldn't even see the horizon. I couldn't see a bank on either side. We couldn't see a horizon because the sky and the ocean were exactly the same color. It was just surreal. And we were driving out there, and that, that gray and that dark and that just kind of watery sunlight just matched our mood, if you understand what I'm saying. And as we were going out on this heading, soon, sooner or later, I, I saw a dot out in the, in the distance there and didn't know what it was because, again, you couldn't see. And as we got closer, we recognized it was a boat. As we got even closer, it was right on our compass heading, and so we were, we were just coming right up behind it. And I could see that it was a boat, and I could see this big spool on the back of this boat was turning. And as we got even closer, there was a lot of frantic activity on the boat. And pretty soon we could see that it, they were, it was a gill netting boat, and they were dragging in this, this, this gill net, and it was loaded with 40 to 60-pound salmon. <laughs> and I'm ticked off. I'm amazed as well because it, I've never seen this. I've fished ever since I was old enough to hold a rod, but I've never been around that sort of fishing. And the Lord dropped an impression in my mind that I haven't talked about this for years, but recently the impression that the Lord put in my mind that day has just come roaring back to me, and the impression was this. It looks like nothing's happening on the surface. It's depressing on the surface. But just beneath the surface, there's a lot of frenetic activity going on. I think we're living in that time right now. There's more issues than we can. If we discuss the issues of the day right now, it would take us all day and we would all drag out of here more depressed than we could possibly imagine. But just like that morning, what we'd been doing or trying to do by the attraction method of fishing, which was flashers and baits and all kind of things, these people were dropping something almost invisible into another realm, and they were harvesting a massive harvest. What I want to say to you is this. That while we're functioning on a very normal, natural level, there's a lot going on underneath the surface. Prophetically, we're coming to the time that, that the Lord has prophesied throughout history. I don't think I would be stretching things to say that just about every prophetic thing has happened that needs to happen for Jesus to come back again. We're just about one bad decision away from 
seeing something break out in the Middle East that could literally come to the end of the whole, of the whole thing. And that's frightening to some degree, but to me, it's exciting. It proves to me once again the Lord knew what he was talking about. It proves to me this, and he's going to do something before it all ends. It's going to be so powerful that we don't want to miss it. The latter rain is greater than the former rain. And we're to expect a great harvest. There's a lot of frenetic activity going on. And God has exactly the net in mind to capture those people. If I, if I was to read to you today something that kind of is, is interesting to me. In fact, when we saw that that day, the Lord brought this scripture to mind from uh, Matthew chapter 13. And uh, it, it's an amazing chapter that talks about uh, where Jesus gives a, a parable about the, the net. And uh, it's kind of a cool thing. And let me read it to you if I could. Chapter 13, verse 47 and following says, And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore. They sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age that the angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into a furnace of fire and there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So this picture is, is interesting to me, and that's exactly the scripture I thought about that day, oddly enough. And the Lord just dropped that into my heart, and I've never forgotten it. I, like I said, I don't talk about this ever. I haven't talked about this for years. But it's come to light again in me, and, and I remembered the process the Lord took me through. And after that day, there was several years went by, and after Bible college and all that, I was, uh, I'd come back to my hometown, Springfield, and was working a job, and, and I was just hoping to, to move back into ministry as I had been before I went to Bible college. And, and I remember I was, I was in a little church that some of my friends went to there, and I was, on a Sunday morning, I was sitting back, I'd been ushering, and I was helping some of the junior boys and stuff like that, and I was sitting back there after we took up the offering, and the pastor was preaching, and he was a terrible preacher. Oh, man, I was so bored. And, you know, he could have been tried for preaching and gone free for lack of evidence. It was so bad. But I, I started just making this journey in the scriptures. And, and I was, at the time, I was studying Ephesians chapter 4. And I had just discovered that week that the word, you know, remember when Jesus, in fact, Jesus on the bookends of his ministry employed nets to teach the disciples. Peter was the first. The harvest, remember, he said, drop your nets, and they got all this bunch of fish, and the nets broke, and the boats sank, and all kinds of things, and they lost a lot of what the Lord had given them. And in John 21, just before the Lord ascended back into heaven, uh, he took them out, and, and the same kind of thing happened, except this time they did not have their nets break. would have been the same nets and probably the same boat. But the bottom line is the nets didn't break and the boats didn't sink, and they had a massive harvest that the Lord said, go get your fish, bring them in. And I think that's prophetic of what it's going to be at the end. It's going to outstrip our expectations. It's going to outstrip our capacities. God is going to do things more amazingly than you can possibly imagine. And I was studying that whole, that whole passage during that time. And, and I discovered something that you remember when Jesus called James and John, they were mending their nets. Well, the word mending there is the same exact word that we see in Ephesians 4. And I started studying that, and, and, and basically the, the passage there in Ephesians that they were referring to is the one where the Scriptures tells us what Jesus gave to the church after his ascension. And in chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. The word equipping there is the same word in the Greek as for mending the nets. And I was studying that and I was fascinated by that. 
And, and the fact that the equipping here corresponds to the mending of nets because mending nets is necessary when nets become unusable because they're broken. They have holes in them. And the apostles and the prophets and the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, and so forth and so on, are there for that mending of the nets for the work of the ministry. As I'm looking out at you this morning, I still see something I saw two weeks after I was sitting in the back of that church, bored to tears, but studying this passage. I still have the bulletin that I was writing all my notes on. It touched me so much, and I was getting ready to go to the Fiji Islands to visit my dad, who, after he retired from, from Sears, he uh, went there as Associate Peace Corps Director. And I, I got there two weeks after this occasion in the back of the church, and I was walking with him one morning. We'd flown out to some of the islands that he was doing projects in, and he went on to his, do his projects, and I went for a walk on the beach. And that morning... The local fishermen who had been fishing all night long had come in and they had unloaded their nets from the boats and they had built these racks along the, along the shoreline, maybe like two by fours that would come up, maybe three, three and a half feet and then a long, a long top rail and they would take their nets out of the boat and they would string them up and, and drape them over these racks so that they could do a couple of things. Number one, They wanted to come and inspect the nets to get all the seaweed and all the stuff out of them. Because here's the thing about a net. When it has all kind of stuff in it, like hanging from it, the fish see that and don't go that direction. And it's really illustrative of what the Lord does when he cleans our life. Because there's some stuff hanging on some of us that is kind of obnoxious. People see us and they know we follow Christ and they don't want anything to do with it because of the stuff, if you know what I mean. But in addition to that, this is what touched me. I saw one of those fishermen, after he'd so carefully arrayed his nets on those racks, he walked through the racks. And he would every once in a while stop and, and feel the net because if it's abraded, normally it was, they're, they're made out of monofilament lines so they can become scratched and abraded and tear. And that can be disastrous because if you've ever seen a picture of what happens to a net under the water when it's full of fish and they're pulling it out, if there's a hole in that net, it's just like a funnel. And everything they've caught falls out. And so they're very careful to make sure that if they're going to go out and fish all night long, they want to make sure that net's going to hold what is caught. And so this guy was walking along very slowly, very carefully. I mean, he was looking that net over like his life depended on it because it sort of did. And every once in a while, he would stop and sometimes he would kneel down and he'd take something out of his pocket. And it, it was a... It looked like bone. I couldn't see it. It I was too far away. But it was about that long, and it was colored like bone, probably carved from some kind of bone. And he would take that, and he would take the loose ends or the broken ends, and he would tie them together. And he would test it to make sure that it would hold. And I thought, if I've ever seen a living illustration of what a pastor does, that's it. I can't walk into a church meeting like this, even to this day, without seeing that vision. When the nets come in from the community, and they're draped across these pews, that's what I see. You see, the net spends some time in the boat, and the net spends some time on the shore but it's made for the sea. You spend some time in transit. You spend some time in the church, but you're made for the sea. In the scriptures, the sea is often a picture, an anomaly, if you will, in in the way it's looked at, but, but the sea and the people of the world are synonymous. In prophecy. 
So when you go out, understand this, that you are connected together. To the degree that you're connected together with God and, and other believers, you, you form a, 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 like a semi-permeable membrane, like a net. It's a semi-permeable membrane. Some things can pass through it that aren't desired. Like in the gill netting that I was talking about earlier on, a gill net has sizable holes in it, but it is designed to catch certain kinds of fish of a certain size. These salmon that we were looking to catch follow the, 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 the shoals of bait fish. In this case, up there, it's usually herring. And the herring are small. They're about this long, and they're not very big around, and they can pass through that net. And those salmon chasing those, those herring uh, pass into that net. And it's interesting. The attraction model of fishing is that I put something out that's like bait, and it draws the attention of a fish, and that fish desires to come to it. And that's okay. You can catch one or two that way, or 10 or 15 maybe. But this other kind of fishing with a net is a passive kind of fishing. It just puts something in the path of those fish. It has to be done wisely. It has to be done appropriately. And the net has to stand the stress. But those fish, they're swimming along chasing those bait fish, and they swim into that net because they don't see it, number one. And they become caught in it because they, they're swimming along. They don't know anything's happening, and their head passes through that opening, and it catches on their gills. What I want to illustrate to you is this, that when you go back into the community, there's a term that we, we use in industry a lot and advertising a lot, and I've become interested in using it for church, is that we want to become sticky. When people encounter us in business, we want them to stick. We want there to be an attractiveness to it that they want to stay. In the church, we do everything we possibly can. I, I've been a pastor for 40 years. I've planted a church that I, that I still am on staff with, even though I'm not doing it full time now. And I've watched the processes over the years that cause people to feel at home and feel like they belong. And we do everything we can to be sticky. Personally, I want to be as friendly as I possibly know how to be out in the community. So many Christians are, are hard to get along with. They're legalistic. They're, they're stuffy. They're just... Ah. And, and people don't enjoy it. I, I'm here to tell you that you represent the most life-giving, blessing-oriented movement that there has ever been on planet Earth. And it's the kingdom of God. And, and the kingdom of God, like that dragnet, is dropped into the sea. It's, a, it's another environment altogether. What we do here, that's great. But what really matters is what we do out there. We come here to get mended. We come here to get connected. Those, I was watching those guys that morning in, in the Fijis. And, and not only do they mend those nets and, and clean those nets, but they also add more netting to it while they're on the racks. That's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. God wants people to become caught in the meshes of our life. And when, when they want to be around us, it's easy to get them to come to church. Do you realize that 95% of the people that come to Christ come because of their friends and family? They're not coming because of the massive crusades necessarily unless their friends and family bring them there. Friends and family are the thing that catches us. And we want to be there. People are going to do what they want to do eventually. And so when we talk about going back into our communities, that's when, we really, that's when we really shine or should. I love the fact of how you guys embrace your community. You know, with Convoy of Hope, with all the things you do, that is so fantastic. And I, I expect that you're not going to be able to hold all the people in this building. You're going to have to do some other things. And that's where we want to be. That we, we want to be playing catch-up. 
We want to anticipate, yes, but we want to be playing catch-up always because people beget people. And I, I just want to encourage you today. The, the, the enemy wants you to believe you don't matter. He wants you to believe that nobody likes you. He wants you to believe that, that you're persecuted and no one wants to be around. I'm here to tell you that in times like we're in right now, people that have their head on straight, people that are full of the Holy Spirit, people that love people and know how to embrace people, you are going to be sticky. And in a time when everybody is critical of everybody else, everybody's fighting everybody else, everybody's single issue, you're left or you're right, and you have no business being around anybody that isn't in agreement with you, I'm here to tell you that if we could walk into our community and embrace people, something good's going to happen. You're all going to be dragging people in here with you. God's going to clean the net. He's going to equip us to do things that we never dreamt we could do. The third part of this lesson is something that happened to me. I was on staff of a very large church in Phoenix. We, we were running 6,000 plus uh, back in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. And I was a senior associate pastor of that, of that church. And I mean, man, everything was so amazing. We, I had a school of ministry of 200 students, and, and I, I was starting to teach on some of these things back then out of Ephesians. And in my class on Wednesday night, uh, there was this young lady that came. She was probably at that time almost 30 years old, maybe 31 or two, and very beautiful gal, very sophisticated gal. She'd moved down to Phoenix because... She had had a company that she had founded, and her, her partner had cheated her out of her company, and she lost it. She just completely lost it, and she had moved to Phoenix to live with her mom, and she was virtually catatonic. I mean, she was so messed up. She had been really, really one of these people that was kind of uh, immoral and all that kind of thing. In fact, she didn't. She couldn't imagine anybody ever wanting to have a child. She had to petition the state of Ohio uh, back in the day to become sterilized so she would never have to worry about having a child. That's the kind of person we were dealing with. But she was so messed up, but so capable at the same time. But I, I feared she was going to go into a mental institution. But she showed up in my Wednesday night class and just sat there like a stone for months and months. And when I opened up the school of ministry, she signed up. I was shocked. And one of the requirements to graduate the school of ministry was that you have to do some kind of practical ministry. And I had a, each week I had a board up there while I was teaching that had a, what I called the ministry du jour, and you had an opportunity to serve in the church somewhere, and, and, you had, and everybody did that. And all 200 students were supposed to do that before they could graduate. And I remember the last night of class, Bobby was her name, Bobby Dorn, and, and she, she came to me in tears that night at the end of the class and said, oh, Pastor Gary, I want to graduate from this class, but from this school, but I haven't done my practical ministry. And I said, well, Bobby, there's, there's one opportunity left. You can't graduate otherwise. And she looked at it, and it was teaching third-grade children. She was so excited. She said, I can't do that. I, I hate children. I said, well, Bobby, it, it is what it is. I want you to graduate how bad could it be? They're third graders. And she's, okay. And so I was in my office the next couple of days, and, and I heard, there's this gal down in, in the third grade class, and, and she is redoing the whole room. And I went down there, and she had literally put the galaxy in the ceiling. Hanging from the ceiling, stars, planets, all this stuff. She had redone the whole room. It was incredible. Sunday came. I saw her after that class. It was a different person. Absolutely different person. She was so fired up. Her eyes were bright. Her, 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 you know, she, she just looked like she'd had the best day of her life. And I said, Bobby, what happened? She said, 
I taught those kids. I felt like I'd come alive again. Bobby went back to college. She got her teaching degree. She taught in our Christian school for like $16,000 a year. She'd been making 80 or 90 or 100 way back then. Uh, and and she, she became a brand new creature. And every time I'd go back to Phoenix, I would see Bobby. And there's still the same Bobby. When the Lord starts to work through you, you've learned something you could never learn any other way. You've been, here's the thing. Think about this. The stewardship aspect of Christ in you, the hope of glory. How can I possibly keep it to myself? How can I possibly be stingy with what God has done with me? How can I hide my, 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 my light under the bushel, as Jesus said? But we do it because we think, I, I, I couldn't. I, hello, it's not your ability, it's your availability. The Lord started moving in my heart to leave that incredible church that I was about to become the senior pastor of. I, I couldn't conceive of it. I didn't want to go. And I, I knew I was supposed to go back to Springfield and plant a church. I didn't want to plant a church until I said yes. It broke my heart. It broke my pastor's heart. It broke a bunch of hearts because we all were so close and, and loved what we were doing. And, and the dream was a beautiful dream. But I've, I've learned over the years that God's dream is better than mine. And so with no money, only four families to work with, I moved my young family out of their brand new house and we went to Springfield. It was absolutely an uphill battle. And when I was teaching, this verse downstream of the one I just read to you about the equipping of the saints, notice this with me. That that powerful fivefold ministry, and this is nothing new to you, I'm sure, but that powerful fivefold ministry that's mentioned there is for the equipping, the mending of the saints, the completing of the saints, if you will. That word's also used for mending a broken bone or re-outfitting a derelicted ship for its designed purpose. The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Where church has gone wrong in many respects is we have hired guns to do the work of the ministry and we become connoisseurs of good preaching. We sit, we soak, and we sour because we're not giving away what we're taking in. And I... I began to see that, and without really consciously trying to do this, the Lord gave me the plan to build the church. And here it is. Let me read it in its context. He, he gave those people for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ until we all come to a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things in him who is the head, Christ, from whom... The whole body joined and knit together by that which every joint supplies. Can you imagine if every Christian in Albuquerque got off of the spectator mentality 
and became a participant. Financially, spiritually, and practically. You, you know something? I began to preach that, and not, not even consciously. It would seemingly come out of me every time I preached, somehow. And our congregation caught it. We never had a campaign. We never had a program. We never had any of those things. And we hit, and our church runs about 1,500 people. Our church achieved a moment where we had 75% of our congregation serving in some volunteer capacity. 75%. Here's what I saw. Number one, out of that servant mass of people, that servanthood that was going on, God was giving giftings. Faithful and little became ruler over much to many people. We now have 26 staff members. Every one of them, except two, came out of the congregation. Every one of them. I wouldn't trade them for anybody's staff. We didn't have to import new DNA into them. They were, they, they were participants. When I stepped down from the senior role, uh, well, let me back up just a second. When I, I didn't know for sure I was going to go to Springfield until I flew in there one day and the Lord gave me a vision and, and, a, and, a, and a commission on the plane as we were landing. And the Lord told me, he said, I want you to build a church for people that have been beat up, burned out, hurt in life, and hurt in church. He said, I have a pent-up desire to pour out my spirit on this place because my name is here. We have two international denominations headquartered in our city. We, have, we had three Bible colleges at the time. And the town was full of beat-up, burned-out Christian workers. Students that had gone to Bible college and got hurt and weren't serving God anymore. That was my commission. So we, we went in there, and, and that was the mission God gave me. Well, the day that I conducted my last staff meeting as senior pastor there, my, my friend Josh, who I placed in, in, in that role, he'd worked work with me for 17 years. He asked everybody to give a statement. And I didn't know what that was all about, but he went, had them go around the table Every single solid one of those people had come to the church hurt, beat up, burned out. And they started doing something. And God raised them up and they started doing more. And there they were sitting now as a very successful church staff. I'm amazed at what God will do when we open our heart and our hands to him. What God wants to do through you is not limited to your capability. I'll promise you that. It just doesn't work like that. God wants to do something exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all you can ask or think. But it takes a step of faith. It takes doing something you don't feel qualified for. But when you start to feel the Spirit of God move through you, it changes everything. You know, one of the, one of the biggest blessings that I noticed as people in mass started volunteering is I never, ever heard again the phrase, what's the church going to do about this? It became, what are we going to do about this? Everybody took responsibility. That's not a new thing. In Acts chapter 6, we had a situation where the church was going crazy. It was growing so fast. And, and there, were, there were groups of people in the church were pretty diverse. We had the Hebrew culture in the church. And then we had the, the Roman or Greco-Roman uh, culture in the church. And converts in both of those arenas. Well, the, the widows in the Hebrew families were being taken care of. They were being fed because it was their culture. 
and the Christians would feed those dear women and take care of them. Whereas the Greek crowd or the Hellenistic crowd, they didn't have those kind of cultures. And so those poor ladies, in many cases, were not being taken care of and were in dire straits. And so they came and, and approached the, the leadership and they said, well, you know, this is the situation. And, and, they, and the leadership wisely said to them, look, it's not, it's not appropriate for us to leave the word of God in prayer because we're leading this whole thing and wait tables But, he said, appoint out from among you seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom that we may appoint over this business. I found out that you need to appoint people God has anointed. But you don't know who God's anointed until people get out of the pew and on to work and doing something. And so when you see the gifting, you can appoint. And so that's where we got our deacon ministries and so forth and so on. Helps ministries are so important. And so we've got people that are gifted in those areas that may not even yet know it. And so Jason didn't tell me to preach this. I'm preaching this because I feel that until we get as close to 100% participation in ministry... That the net has holes in it. You can reach people I'll never reach. I can reach people you'll never reach. And we can look around this room and say that to each other. I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a Christian without a ministry. God doesn't make junk. He, He doesn't have a consumer class and a provider class. Has a family. And so when I when I look around at all the at all the nets on the rack here, wherever I go, that's what I see. And I see pastors that many times are too almost too tired to walk through the the nets. I see pastors that have giftings that, that flow this way and they're so gifted in that way and they have to take away from that gifting and do a bunch of things that really aren't in their wheelhouse. Why? Because the people in, in the crowd or in the, in the community that have those giftings are not using those giftings. And so I'm not here to beat up on anybody today, but I'm inviting you into the most exhilarating, powerful, and ultimately eternally rewarded opportunity that exists on planet Earth. To be a partner with God. To be a steward over the greatest thing that God ever gave mankind. And I know we appreciate that. But I'm saying, I wonder what gifts are lying dormant. You know, if, if this morning my, my brain signaled me to pick up my Bible and my spinal cord somehow couldn't transmit that and, and move my hands to do so, what would we call that? Paralysis. That would be considered a malady. But we're, we're people that are part of a body, listen to this, I'll jump down to verse 16. From whom the whole body that we're talking about, but speaking the truth in love, verse 15, may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying or building up of itself in love. So, that we're, we're, we're connected to the head, Christ. But we are the body. What signals might the head be sending that the body is receiving but not reacting to? I always ask myself that. Lord, when I'm reading something I'm getting blessed by something in the scriptures. I have this sneaking suspicion that usually I'm going to run into an opportunity to do that thing. Now, how are we going to get ourselves in 
in, in a place where we're, like our brother said this morning, so true. The voice of God is speaking. We know that his sheep hear his voice. I read something yesterday that rocked me back on my heels, and I'm going to share it with you because I think it's really appropriate, especially in this context. It was an Arab Christian that wrote this, and I'd give him credit if I could remember his name or even pronounce it. But he said, when one's devotional life goes to sleep, their old life wakes up. I'm telling you, if we prioritize waiting on the Lord, if we prioritize doing what he says to us, whether it's tithing, can I just tell you, tithing opens the heart as much as it opens the wallet. And more, more than tithing, that could be a legalistic exercise that makes you feel good about yourself. But if our assets are God's too, it's amazing how much joy we can get by giving over and above. And Forget about the 10% thing. It's all his anyway. And if he asks for it a certain, or, or, or encourages us, you're going to run into people at the grocery store. You're going to run into people all over the place where you work. And, and if the heart of God rises up in you, and you're inspired to do something, can I just tell you, do it? You know, we ought to all wear Nike for this reason, because of the just do it thing. We talk about it a lot, let's just do it. It's amazing what happens when we launch. There is no grace to do until we step. And I don't know why I'm coming so strong with this today, except that I believe you're about ready to launch some things. I believe there's a community in Albuquerque like there is everywhere else that's desperate right now to figure out what in the world is going on. What am I going to do with my life? Is there going to be a life? And can I just tell you, after church today, the net's going back in the water. God wants you to be sticky. God wants you to be available to be his hands and feet. God wants to give you the joy of walking in the Spirit and, and getting the feedback from that. And God will, if you're faithful in the little thing, say, well, it's just a little. I, I, I can't do much, but I got this little thing here. Faithful in little leads to ruler over much. That's the only route to get there. We're waiting for the much, and God's watching for the little. You know, I wish I could somehow just encourage you on this, on this wise. Remember we were talking about Acts 6 there. Acts 6 was part of an incredible moment of church growth. But after what happened with those seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, the Bible says, and the word of God spread... And a great many disciples were added. In other words, the revival hit another level and never receded. They reached their entire world. They spread the boundaries. It was all in, it was all in Palestine back in those days. It was all in Israel back in those days. And then it spread to Rome and it spread beyond and it spread to Albuquerque. I'm just saying, many hands make light work. Many believers blanket the area. If we could ever unleash the church, the devil would scream. Why don't you stand this morning? Maybe we can get the worship team back up here again. I know, you know, I'm not from here, and I'm speaking pretty boldly to you on some fronts. But I am convinced this morning that what I'm telling you would bless your life beyond anything you can imagine.
I've watched so many lives come alive and so many families be healed, so many people physically be healed because they did what they could do. They became active in their faith. So I'm wondering, so you can just close your eyes for a moment today. I don't want to make a point of anybody, but how many of you would raise your hand and say, Pastor Gary, I would really like to take the challenge. I, I, would, really, I would really like to, to take some faith, faith steps, and I would really like to, 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 to be more sticky in my life. I'd really like to see myself as the, as the net. I'm, whole, I'm, I'm tied in with a bunch of people but I really want to see myself as a, as a real actor, a real player in this drama in these years. Let me just see your hands real quick. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Father God, I thank you. I thank you today for folks whose heart is drawn out to follow you and to be your hands and your feet in the community. I thank you, oh God, that these are asking this morning that they would become sticky, that they would become people that, that carry your heart, that they would become people that actually can see and respond to needs and opportunities in the community. I pray, oh God, that you would give them the fortitude and the grace today to actually come forward and, and volunteer, actually come forward and, and make, a, make a stance for things their assets, their abilities, their prayer life, all those areas. God, when we go back into the, back into the sea this afternoon, I pray we would carry this image with us that we are standing for you. That we're connected together to bring converts out of the community. We're there to offer services to be blessings everywhere we go. God, I ask right now that the anointing of the Holy Spirit yes. will touch every life, every hand that's been raised, every, every heart that's open right now. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come in a powerful way to enable, to inspire, and to uphold. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you folks. Thank you so much for being here today. And it's been a joy to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.